This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives. Let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. Love is one of the biggest topics of our lives. People create stories and they put them on the big screen and it's all about love. People write poetry about love. People paint pictures about love. And I think most of all, people write songs. They write music about love. And I I love to hear love songs and I know you probably have a favorite love song. Uh, Turn to the person next to you right now and say, this is my favorite love song. Go ahead, do that. I mean it. Do that. This is my favorite love song. This person here, he's all alone. There's nobody talking to him. In a Christian church, he's all alone. People are ignoring him. Somebody go over to him. Turn around. Tell him what your favorite love song is. So, So everybody's got something. You know, Billboard has compiled a list of 50 of the best all-time love songs, songs that charted at number one at some point in their lifespan. Let me read to you some of these, and I'm going to read it, and you, this is our, our congregational participation moment this morning, you shout out if you think you know the name of the artist, okay? So I'll give you the, the song title, you shout out the artist, I'll give you the, the year. Baby Love, The Supreme is 1964, Love Story, Taylor Swift, 2009. <laughs> Loving You. Minnie Ripperton. You remember Minnie Ripperton? Oh, man, Minnie. 1975. You've lost that love and feeling. The Righteous Brothers, 1965. This was a hard one. Trick question. This guy's in love with you. Ushers, ushers, please escort this man from the auditorium. This guy's in love with you. Herb Alpert, 1968. I just called to say I love you. Stevie Wonder, 1984. Greatest love of all. Whitney Houston, 1986. This is for you Back to the Future fans. The Power of Love. Huey Lewis and the News, 1985. What's love got to do with it? Tina Turner, 1984. Love will keep us together. Captain and Tennille, 1975. That's an oldie. That means you're old, whoever said that. (laughs) Crazy in love. Beyonce, 2003. This could be my favorite. You ready? If you get this, you get free coffee for the rest of the month. You just tell them that you got it when you get out there. Ready? To serve with love. Lulu! And that means you're older. 1967. My love. Paul McCartney, 1973. How deep is your love? Bee Gees. Anybody want to sing that? How deep is your love? 1977. That's why I'm not on the music team. Endless love. Diana Ross and Lionel Richie, 1980, 
one. And so all these songs about love, and, and they make us feel things, and they make us re- remember things. One of my favorite songs about love is from the musical Rent, Seasons of Love. And they ask a question. First they say, 525,600 minutes, 525,000 moments so dear. How do you measure, measure a year? In daylights, in sunsets, in midnights, in cups of coffee, in inches, in miles, in laughter, in strife. How about love? How about love? And then I never knew this until I pulled the lyrics and I got to the end of the song. There's, there's this quote at the end of the song, in the song itself. You know that love is a gift from above. I never saw that before. You know that love is a gift from above. Share love, give love, spread love, measure your life in love. The third most often searched word in the online Merriam-Webster dictionary is love. Third most searched word. So now you're going, what's the first? The first is pretentious. Don't be pretentious. I don't know why people are checking out that word, but don't be that. And what's the second? Ubiquitous. Ubiquitous, one of my favorite words, meaning you're everywhere all at the same time, being everywhere all at the same time. This is the definition of a mom. You're everywhere all at the same time doing a million things. But the third most often searched word in the Merriam-Webster dictionary is love. And what's curious about this, and you can go online and Google this, you'll see it. At the bottom, there's an editor's note. Here's what the editor said. We're guessing that many people arrive at our site with a question. What is the meaning of love? That actually requires answers beyond a dictionary definition. That's pretty cool. That actually requires answers beyond a dictionary definition. One of my favorite writers, and she's passed away at this point, uh, Irma Bombeck, was she was trying to figure out her life and figure out love and, and all the different pieces, she wrote this. If I had my life to live over, I would have talked less and listened more. I would have invited friends over to dinner even if the carpet was stained and the sofa faded. I would have burned the pink candle sculpted like a rose before it melted while being stored in the garage. There would have been more I love you's, more I'm sorry's, more I'm listening's, but mostly given another shot at life. I would seize every minute, look at it, and really see it, live it, and never give it back until I had exhausted every moment. There would have been more I love you's. Love is always the answer to the question why. It always answers the question why in some way, shape, or form. If love can't show up, if love can't make it happen, if love can't win the day, then nothing can. As Brene Brown says, love is a practice. In other words, it's something you are working on every day. It's your craft. It's your passion. Love is a practice. Professing love 
has very little to do with love, she says. Love is messy, hard, tough, a struggle. It's gritty. It's messy, hard, tough, a struggle, gritty. Let me tell you a story from Luke about a messy, hard, tough, struggling, gritty kind of love. In Luke chapter 7, Jesus gets invited to dinner. He's invited to dinner by one of the leaders of the community, a Pharisee, somebody with respect, somebody with some, some oomph in the community, somebody that people look to and respect. And so he's heard about Jesus. Maybe he's, he's heard him personally, or at least he's, he's heard things secondhand about him. Maybe, maybe he got a glimpse of him somewhere. Uh, he's heard about some, some miracles. Maybe he heard about water to wine. In any event, he invites Jesus to his home for dinner. Uh, he wants to see him up close and personal. He wants to hear himself what the, what the fuss is all about. Uh, but he doesn't know what's going to happen next. A woman sneaks in to his house. Somehow she gets by the, the front door. Uh, the door was probably you know, just a, a wide open space without any, any door on it at all. And and nobody was looking, and she sneaks in. Suddenly, she's actually at the feet of Jesus. Suddenly, she lets down her, her hair, which would be very inappropriate in a, in a public setting like that. It's already inappropriate that she's there. And she, she's weeping. Maybe she's weeping as she's moving toward Jesus. Maybe she's already feeling this great burden of sadness on her heart for what her life has ended up being and for who she is. And everybody knows she's, she's called a sinner. Everybody knows that she's living a life that is not going in the right direction at all. Now with her hair let down, with the tears flowing, she's wetting Jesus' feet with her tears. She's wiping them with her hair. She is what is, again, like way inappropriate, incessantly kissing his feet, and she has poured perfume on his feet. And you can smell the perfume as it, as it lingers in the air around this scene. Well, people are absolutely shocked. And, and Simon, who has invited Jesus to come to his house, just doesn't know what to do. He, he, he thought that he was inviting somebody with, with great credentials and, and great, a great prof prophetic message. And so he, he thinks to himself, you know, if this man were a prophet, he would know who's touching him and what kind of woman she is. She's a sinner. Jesus, he reads thoughts, he hears thoughts, he, he understands exactly what's on Simon's mind. And he says, Simon, I have a story to tell you. I have something I'd like to say. And so Simon says, tell me, teacher. And Jesus weaves this story about uh, a person who has loaned money out to two different men. And the first man he loaned approximately, in today's dollars, a half a million dollars to. Half a million dollars. Maybe he was trying to, to build a big marketplace business, or well, it's a lot of money, maybe it was over time, but it's a, it's a debt of a half a million dollars, and he can't pay it back. And the other man owes $5,000, and he can't pay it back. And Jesus says, so the moneylender forgave the debts of both. He forgives. 
He, he lets it go, the half million dollars, he lets that go. And the $5,000, he lets that go. And then Jesus says to Simon, now which of these two men will love him more? Which will love him more? And the word that he uses there for love is not just love him as a friend, uh, appreciate him. It's, it's the highest form of the word of love in ancient Greek. It's the highest form of the expression of love. It's that love where you give everything. It's, it's a divine love. It's, it's a God-given kind of love that wells up from within a human being, and only God can make that happen inside of your heart. But that's the word Jesus uses. Which one of them will, will give his whole heart and the rest of his life to this man? Simon says, I suppose the man who had the bigger debt forgiven. And Jesus says, yes, you have answered that correctly. Then he turns to the woman, and he says to Simon, do you see this woman? I came into your house. You didn't give me any water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and dried them or wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, which would have been very traditional. You still see oftentimes in Europe, where people will kiss each other on both cheeks. Sometimes I'll meet somebody and they're more European and I give them that little Italian-American kiss on the cheek, which I can do at any second, so watch out if you get near me. You know, if you don't want to get kissed, do not get too close to me because I can do that thing. And sometimes if I do that little Italian-American kiss, they'll turn the other cheek because they want to finish that off with the kiss on the other cheek. And so very, very normal. And he says, you did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. It has been incessant. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven for she loved much, or as her great love has shown. And he uses that same word. It's this love that is is God's love. It's a love where the entire heart just pours out in affection, and you're giving your whole life away to this one thing. He remarks, but whoever has been forgiven little loves little. It's easy to quickly forget and go on with your life. Then Jesus says to the woman, your sins are forgiven. Everybody who's there is in wonderment, and they say, who is this who even forgives sins? Nobody can forgive sins. No human being, they know a human being cannot do this. And they know something very odd is going on here and something that is about the power of God is happening right before their eyes. Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. And so something about love connects to the faith response of our hearts as we believe in God with all of our hearts, as we, we give the entirety of our lives to him, because we know who he is and we know what he has done, it's tantamount to that kind of love, that love that God pours out to us. He wants to engender that kind of love within us so that we can pour out that love back to him. In 1 Corinthians 13, we read that amazing definition of love, and I'm just going to go over this very quickly, but I'm reading it from the message because I like the way Eugene Peterson turns these phrases. If I speak with human eloquence and angelic ecstasy, 
but don't have love. I'm nothing but the creaking of a rusty gate. In other words, if I can use words and paint pictures with words and do amazing things, if I can speak, if anyone can speak, you know, think about a, a motivational speaker and they, they start to move people to do things and, and they, they lift up words out of nowhere and you see the future. And Paul writes, if there's not love in that, that person's just like the creaking of a rusty gate. If I speak God's word with power, revealing all his mysteries and making everything plain as day, and if I have, a, if I have faith that says to a mountain, jump, and it jumps, but I don't love, I'm nothing. If I give everything I own to the poor, and even go to the stake to be burned as a martyr, but I don't love, I've gotten nowhere. So no matter what I say, what I believe, and what I do, I'm bankrupt without love. Love never gives up. Love cares more for others than for self. Love doesn't want what it doesn't have. Love doesn't strut, doesn't have a swelled head, doesn't force itself on others, isn't always me first, doesn't fly off the handle, doesn't keep score of the sins of others, doesn't revel when others grovel, takes pleasure in the flowering of truth, puts up with anything, puts up with anything, anything, anything. Trust God always, always looks for the best, never looks back, but keeps going to the end. Love never dies, or as we often hear that, love never fails. And there's that word again. It's that highest form of love. It's that love that comes from God, and he allows it to be born and to find its way in us and through us, and it changes us, and it changes everything. Why love? Well, the answer to that question is always another question. Why not love? If love changes everything, why not love in every situation? You know, I was thinking about what would be an interesting picture of love. And, and I think what I'm going to show you right now is, is a very deep picture of love, but looking at it from kind of a, a different angle. This is a, a clip from the movie McFarland, USA. Take a look. Yeah. Uh -huh. 
It's a picture of love. He says, you guys have the biggest hearts I've ever seen. And because he has poured himself into them, and they have poured everything that they have, they put it all on the line. There's that, there's that expression of love that emerges from that. They say the highest performing teams can only get to a, a certain level just on ability, on athletic ability, on mental prowess. The highest performing teams can only go the next level on love. They say that's, they've done studies. It's love that changes the whole team. But here's the backstory. When, when Costner was in high school, he was doing what he shouldn't have done. He was on a baseball team. He was doing what he shouldn't do and thinking what he shouldn't think and, and cutting up and, and, and not living up to the potential that he had and, and of the team. And a coach took him aside and confronted him face to face. And this is what the coach said. Costner, I thought you were a Jesus person. And what was that coach doing? He was saying, Costner, I thought you were a follower of Christ. I, I thought, you, I know your family goes to church. I know that, that this is at the core of everything that your family is about, and you're a part of that. And, and if that's true, why is your life going in this direction? And he just broke down crying, and he cried, and he cried, and he cried, because he realized how far off track he was at that point. So he was able to play that role as a coach here with, I think, even greater strength of character. Why love? More I love yous. More I'm sorry's. More I'm listening. Love never fails. In 1 John, we have an amazing study of love. It gives us the foundation of love, the practice of love, and the imperative of love. And John, remember, was, was the disciple that Jesus loved. And however you want to think about that, it, it just means that, that they were connected in a very close way, emotionally and spiritually. And he knew, I think he understood God's love every day in a way that, that to be with Jesus would make possible. And so as he writes this letter, 1 John, he's writing out of that time he spent with Jesus. He's writing out of those moments when Jesus looked him in the eye and called him to be everything that God created him to be. This is what he says, 1 John 1. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. John is saying, we're not kidding around. We were there. We saw him. We heard him. We were right there with him all the time. This is real. This is more real than anything we've ever experienced in our entire lives. This we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared. Again, he says, we have seen it and testify to it. And we proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard. He's so overwhelmed with this, he keeps repeating it and repeating it, so that you also may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We write this 
to make our joy complete. He says, we're asking you to come into this with us. This would make us extremely joyful if we could share with you what this is all about. 1 John 2. Do not love the world. Now he's talking about love, and he's using that same word that was used in 1 Corinthians, that was used in, in Luke. Don't put your life in the hands of the world. Don't put all of your affection on the world. Don't give everything to the world. Do not love the world or anything in the world. He's going to explain this. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in them. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away. Whoever does the will of God lives forever. He says, why would you want to put everything in your life upon something that's deteriorating? Why would you want to put everything in your, in your life on something that's falling apart at the seams? Why put something on a crumbling foundation? You know, you remember Jesus talked about the man who built his house on the rock, the man who built his house on the sand. It's all the same message, really. Why choose this when you can have this and get everything and live forever in the message uh, Eugene Peterson puts it this way, 1 John 2, don't love the world's ways. Don't love the world's goods. Love of the world squeezes out love for the Father. Practically everything that goes on in the world, wanting your own way, wanting everything for yourself, wanting to appear important, has nothing to do with the Father. It just isolates you from him. The world and all its wanting, wanting, wanting is on the way out. But whoever does what God wants is set for eternity. And so John, he's lived this. He's seen this. It's been a part of his life intimately in his heart, mind, and soul. And he goes, why do you want that, what the world offers you so that you build your life on something that is always fading away, that is vaporous that is just drifting downstream away from you when you can have everything because of God's love for you which he makes clear in chapter 3 see what great love the father has lavished on us that we should be called the children of God that we should be called children of God and that is what we are the reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. The world looked at Jesus and didn't understand him, and the world sometimes is going to look at us and not understand us either. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. So this love, this amazing love that, that is placed in us by God, comes from God above, and emerges in us and through us. We, we live that, we feel that, we resonate with that together. But then the action of that is that we share that and we make a difference in other people's lives because of that love. When, when Pope Francis arrived in Washington two years ago, he spoke at St. Matthew's Cathedral in Washington, D.C. He said this, it is important that the church in the United States also be a humble home 
a family fire which attracts men and women through the attractive light and warmth of love. What was he saying? He was saying that it's not about a cathedral. It's more about a campfire. It's more about people having that feeling of family. And when you sit down together and when you're roasting marshmallows together, you're, you're creating s'mores together and you're, you're telling old stories together and you know that you're, you're connected at a heart level. That makes you like a light that's very attractive to people because people feel lonely and people feel disconnected. And people really don't know what to do. They don't know the big questions about, the answers to the big questions about life. People don't think a whole lot about that. They keep just living their life day after day, moment after moment. And if they would see something different in us and through us, it would be something that draws them in to a unique experience of love, a unique experience of grace. And John summarizes it in chapter 4. Dear friends, and, and so interesting, that word friends is, is a word that's based upon the word love. It really means, one commentator put it this way, divinely loved ones. So the action's coming from God. It's not, it's not just, I'm your friend, you're my friend. Divinely loved ones, ones that God has reached out and loved. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us, and his love is made complete in us. This is how we know that we live in him, and he in us. He has given us of his spirit. Now, right in this section, you've heard about the Father, you've heard about the Son, now you hear about the Spirit. God in three persons, blessed Trinity. Holy, holy, holy. This is how we know that we live in him and he in us. He has given us of his spirit. We have seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in them and they in God. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Why love? Because God is love. And God will live in us, and we will live in him when we understand that Jesus Christ is the Savior of the world, and when we acknowledge him as our personal Lord and Savior. One of my favorite movies over the last few years was The Life of Pi. Now, it was a very difficult movie to see in many ways. Uh, Gail and I actually went to see the movie, and uh, and in the first part of the movie at the zoo, and the father's trying to teach his son Pi a lesson with a tiger. It was just so overly dramatic and emotionally you know, stunning that, that Gail just couldn't, couldn't sit there for that. She got up and she left. And so I, I said, I'll, I'll call you when this part is over. So that part ended, I went out, I found her, I brought her back in, we're, we're watching the movie again. They got in the boat, the tiger came out in the boat, she left again. 
Actually, I decided I'm going with her this time. I don't know if I can handle the tiger and the kid and the boat and the zebra. It was just wild. So we went, we had lunch. We finished lunch, we went back in. The tiger was walking into the jungle and we didn't really know what the story was about. So, <laughs> so when I was in Ocracoke uh, at the end of June for three days and there was nothing for me to do, there was no TV uh, that worked in the, in the hotel room that we were in. It was an old Ocracoke hotel. When we brought Sophia over, Sophia's 10, when we brought her over to visit us in our room, she stopped, she sniffed, and she said, it smells like the 1800s in here. <laughs> and she was right, and that's how, that's how it smelled. Uh, so I had nothing to do, so I read the book of Pi every night, and it was fascinating. And the story begins with this phrase, I have a story that will make you believe in God. And that sort of pulled me in, and there's a section in the early part of the book where Pi meets a Catholic priest. His name is Father Martin, and he tells his struggle with Jesus this way. He served me tea and biscuits, and he told me a story. And what a story! The first thing that drew me in was disbelief. What? Humanity sins, but it's God's Son who pays the price? I asked for another story one that I might find more satisfying. The religion has one story, and to it they came back again and again, over and over. It was a story enough for them. Why would God wish that upon himself? Why not leave death to the mortals? Why make dirty what is beautiful, spoil what is perfect? Love, that was Father Martin's answer. The son, on the other hand, who goes hungry, who suffers from thirst, who gets tired, who is sad, who is heckled and harassed, and who has followers who don't get it, and opponents who don't respect him. What kind of a God is that? He splurged on transportation. It was a regular donkey. What kind of a God is that? What is there to inspire in this son? Love, said Father Martin. And this son appears only once, long ago, far away, among an obscure tribe in a backwater of West Asia. Is done away with before he has a single gray hair on his head. Leaves not a single descendant. His complete works doodles in the dirt. What could justify such divine stinginess? Love, repeated Father Martin. I had tea with Father Martin three days in a row. The answer was always the same. I couldn't get him out of my head. Still can't. The more he bothered me, the less I could forget him. And the more I learned about him, the less I wanted to leave him. And this is in the book, Life of Pi. I'm not reading now from the Bible, though it's going to sound like it. He writes, In a moment you are lost or saved. Christianity stretches back through the ages, but in essence, it exists only at one time, right now. Pi runs up the hill to the church the next day. All these things swirling in his head. He's short of breath when he gets there, and he sees Father Martin, and he says, Father, I would like to be a Christian, please. Father, I would like to be a Christian, please. Because he finally gets it. He gets love. Why love? He, he gets it, that God is love, and that Jesus is God's highest expression of love, and that if he, if he gives himself to Jesus Christ, that he will live forever with him. This is the love of the relationship that God wants to have with you. 
And so maybe today, on your heart, you're saying, Father, I would like to be a Christian, please. Maybe you've held God at arm's length for a long time. Maybe it's been religion to you. Maybe you went to church when you were a kid. Maybe your uncle is a priest. Maybe your, your, your father was a, a, a pastor out in the country somewhere. But now it's you. You can't hold God out here any longer. Father, I would like to be a Christian, please. If that's the cry of your heart today, if you're ready to make that move of love, if you're ready to be baptized tonight, then come and get a towel after the service and be ready for the greatest moment of your life, the moment that changes everything. Does it make you perfect? It will never make you perfect. It doesn't wash away all your troubles. It just washes away all your sins. But it will give you the life that will be, for God's glory, a light in the world for the rest of your days. See what great love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. That which was from the beginning, which we heard, which we have seen with, with our eyes, this we proclaim. The world and its desires pass away. Whoever does the will of God lives forever. More I love yous. More I'm sorry's, more I'm listening's. What about love? Why love? Why not love? The God of all love calls you by his love today. Dear Heavenly Father, we cannot fathom this love. It's so hard to wrap our minds around a love that would go to the cross for us, a love that overwhelms us, a love that calls us into an abiding relationship that the world can never call us into, a love that promises eternal life in heaven with you and with all who have loved you, Father, and given their lives to you. Oh, Father, at this moment, I pray that you'll call someone into that relationship of love. I pray that someone will realize that doing religion doesn't work and arm's length Christianity never worked and still doesn't work, Father. Father, allow us to live in this moment of love. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.